What do you get when the audacious and the therapist collide? A crash course in unpolished therapy. Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca aren't afraid to spin out of control, tackling all the tough talk. Their weekly sesh meets at the corner of Audacity and Advice, where their wheels and yours get turned upside down. Hey guys, happy Wednesday. It's Rachel Silver Cohen and Dr. Boca, another episode of Unpolished Therapy. We are definitely ditching the couch today. We're grabbing the mics. We are breaking down some serious wreckage. So without further ado, Dr. Boca, I'm going to throw it over to you. What is our topic today? I am so excited about this topic, but I will say that I am I'm a little scared maybe about this topic because it is, it's deep, it's heavy, it's conflicted, it serves motion in people. I'm interested in the dialogue that you and I are going to have because I think it's pretty powerful. It's definitely going to be unpolished for sure. So remember that show that I told you to watch, The Scenes from a Marriage um, mm-hmm. that was on HBO Max. Well, mm-hmm. let me tell you, I need to debrief this show. And I know that I told you to watch it and you were like, is it depressing? I don't know. I don't want to watch it. And then after you watch the first episode, I got a text from you. So in full disclosure to our audience, Rachel and I did not go episode by episode, kind of breaking it down. So this is kind of us just coming together to kind of see where we are with the whole experience of watching the show. And if you have not watched the show, we will try not to ruin too much of it, but we hope you have watched it. And if you haven't, it's only five episodes and I highly encourage you to watch it. Well, that was a great little introduction. And yes, when you give me a show to watch, that's definitely a role reversal. So to your point, yes. I mean, just the title alone, Scenes from a Marriage, I was a little skeptical. And I did say to you like, oh, is this going to be depressing? Is this going to make me not want to be married? Is this going to make me want to be married? You always want what you don't have. And you know, sometimes with my head, I don't want to go down rabbit holes that I don't have to. But you did encourage me to watch it, if for no other reason than kind of what you just said. It's incredibly thought-provoking. It's heavy. It's deep. It is kind of a dive into an alternate universe because... It is television for that matter. But I thank you for asking me to watch it. And yes, it's only five episodes, everyone listening. It's a five-part series. Ironically, it's a remake, right? Yeah, and I didn't know that when we started. Yeah, the original is back from almost 50 years ago in 1973. And the interesting thing is, and we could talk a little bit about the plot and then kind of really dive in. But in the modern day version the main character who's kind of the villain, I guess, if you will, right out of the Mm -hmm. game, is the wife. And I think that's kind of interesting because Dr. Boca in the original in 1973, the roles are reversed. And it's that typical male, alpha, hardworking, out there Mm. doing whatever he wants to do, woman, wife, homemaker, taking care of the kids, and then all hell breaks loose. And so typical from what we know from yesteryears. So the first thing I want to point out is modern day this version is really modern day what you see more notably in today's world that male, female, him, shim, it, they, it doesn't really matter what the roles are. Individuals are individuals and we're going to do what we're going to do. Do you want to break down a little bit of like the main plot a little bit and then we can kind of chop in and we'll interrupt each other like we do so well? Sure. Okay. What I found, I mean, just from the start, scenes from a marriage and when you get to the first episode, literally that you see the recording or the soundstage and set of this character, you know, this woman getting suited up for her scene. And 
I was confused already. I'm like, is this real life? Is this a scene? Is this a TV show? Like, what is going on here? A scene within a scene. Right. It was very confusing to me. And I remember calling another one of my friends and being like, is this relevant to it? And so that was confusing and I had to get past that. And I'm not actually sure I actually got the real answer, but I kind of made sense of it as time went on. So there are two main characters in the five episodes. There's a husband and a wife. And as Rachel said... Jonathan and Mira. Okay, so she remembers the name. I remember the gist of it, right? So Jonathan is an intellect. He is a university professor, writer, slash stay-at-home dad. Stay-at-home dad. Philosophy. There you go. Philosophy. Um, Stay-at-home dad. And they have one daughter. And the scene kind of opens... Well, the, the second scene in the first episode is them being interviewed by, I'm going to say a sociologist, it could be a psychologist, it could be someone doing research on marriages and behavior in humans, right? So you see this guy who is like loving talking about this amazing marriage that he's having. The wife walks in and you could tell she's completely disinterested and kind of going along and really viscerally uncomfortable. I want to jump in to say in that first episode, yeah. So she's also the breadwinner. She's got this big high-powered job. Her head's all over the place. And yes, he is the stay-at-home dad and happy to do so, even though he is this intellect and he's no wallflower, but in comparison to her, he's the more passive beta, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. She's the alpha peacock. I will tell you when she sat down on the couch to now participate in this interview that you speak of, the visceral reaction that I had just Mm -hmm. sitting on the couch in my home, okay? I was so uncomfortable. Me too. Me too. Right out of the gate. It just, it felt off. It felt uncomfortable. It felt that they were so disconnected. I'm even going to call the husband out who I was rallying for him. Because he was the dark horse that you just wanted to win. But I'm going to call him out in saying that he had to know how uncomfortable she was. And call me a therapist. I am not. But I think he was pulling the wool over his own eyes to believe something so desperately. Am I wrong on that? Did you pick up on that? No, I think it was one of two things. It was either, yes, he wanted to believe so desperately that their marriage was better than it was. Or he was so self-consumed with his own story that he, over time, had just no awareness for the relationship between them and wasn't paying at all attention to what her behaviors were showing. Only the story, you know, he's a philosopher, he's in his head, he's a dreamer, all of that that he's created in his head and wanted it to be. So I don't know what the real answer is, but it was viscerally uncomfortable. All right. So in a nutshell, first episode, they're being interviewed and it's incredibly uncomfortable. So we as the viewer know right out of the gate, there's something happening here. This is not the cleavers and what's going to happen next, which brings us to the next episode that we've kind of now fast forwarded. Time has gone by, right? I mean, there's well, a couple weeks, of weeks. Right? A couple of weeks, yeah. Okay. And they're not very specific about time until the end of how long the duration of the scenes take. But it's, it's a couple of weeks. And they had found out that they were pregnant. And they have a child already. And my take on it was that the husband was very into this child. And the mom tried to be into this child, but really wasn't. Her job came first. And so she finds out she's pregnant. They have this whole long to-do. He wants the baby. She doesn't want the baby. Then they have a conversation to make each other believe they both want the baby. And then 
that's how that ended. And then the next scene opens with them having or ended with them having an abortion. I don't remember which came first, where the scene was cut. And that, after the abortion, stirred up a host of the woman's or the wife's, Mira's, emotions and desires and dissatisfactions in the relationship that she became more vocal about. Right. Well, the second episode, too, in my opinion, was equally as disturbing from my own discomfort because even... And I don't know if it was on purpose or not. It was just from my vantage point. There was almost manipulation, even if it was coming from a good place, like, I want the baby, I don't want the baby, but he mm-hmm. wants the baby, so now I want the baby, or yeah. I don't want the baby, and now he's good. And even within that, and it's such a sensitive topic too. Like, we're not talking about like, where do you want to go for dinner tonight? Eh, I don't really want Indian food, but he wants Indian food, so I guess we'll have Indian food. But in the middle of having Indian food, now I'm going to be angry at him because I really wanted to have sushi. That's not what this was. No. And that was difficult for me to watch. And I want to just say, and again, I always say to you, Dr. Book, if I think it, or other people thinking it, or listeners, sure. and so on and so forth, as someone who is now not married, watching this series, it stirred up so much for me because I know it's television and there is a degree of poetic license mm-hmm. and you've got to engage the audience and there's got to be this wow factor and you've got to shake things up quickly to engage your audience. But I couldn't help but to think, and I guess maybe I'm jumping ahead, we should kind of just shit the bed and throw the whole plot out there. But I felt very naive as a viewer that here I am as an adult and I've been married and I've dealt with my own marital issues and so on and so forth, which ultimately led to a divorce. But here I am watching a show that I seem so confused about. Like, Mm -hmm. is this really what happens in marriages, good, bad, or indifferent? And I kind of want you to speak to that a little bit from the therapy standpoint. I think the answer is, We see this show from our worldview, and I'll talk about that. I'm sure it's going to come up in different ways throughout this. But all of those things are possibilities. Everything that happened in the show, in isolation, I'm not at all surprised by. However, I think somebody who has not been through one, two, three, or four of those things may say, this doesn't really happen. But this stuff does happen in relationships. I want you to continue on that. But if the listeners out there are a little confused, like, well, what exactly yes. are you talking about? Let's just let's, let's just kind of summarize a little bit. Yep. And again, if you guys want to watch and you feel like these are spoilers, then watch and come back and listen to the podcast Absolutely. thereafter. Um, it's kind of hard to talk about it without talking about it. And we want to break... I mean, this is wreckage here. So we want to break it down. Ultimately, the piece I'm talking about, do I think that there's discord amongst couples? Of course. Do I think maybe the idea of of having an abortion where one spouse wants it more than the other happens? Sure. But in episode three, okay, remember, she is the workhorse. She's the bulldog. She's out there bringing home the bacon. She comes home, okay? Mm -hmm. And those roles, we're not unsure of that. We know he's staying at home. He's in charge of that kid. She's out there working and is the alpha. But she comes home in episode three And as if she's like past the potatoes, she comes home and she tells her husband, who again, you know, I was rooting for the whole time, the intellect, his sensitivity, his compassion, his empathy, his looks to boot. Okay, he's certainly easy on the eyes. I thought he was absolutely adorable in sex and his whole appeal worked Mm -hmm. for me. But she comes home and she's like, oh, by the way, I'm not in love with you anymore. And I'm in love with somebody else. And tomorrow I'm leaving with him and we're going to not around the corner. Okay. (laughs) 
not two states away. We're going to Israel, okay, for work, mind you, but to Israel for several months and see you later. Oh, and what about the kid? Don't, I'll come home on the weekends and I'll visit. And I just, that's what I kind of want to, again, you can tell me I'm naive. You no. can tell me I don't know how to be in a relationship. You can tell me I have no experience. I, I never in my life, you want to come home and say, you know what, it's not working out and I've been hemming and hawing and I didn't know how to say it and I'm freaking out and I have a stomach ache. And, but to come home and say, I'm in love with somebody else and I'm moving <laughs> to another country and, tomorrow. And he had so little reaction to it initially. Like it was, it was literally like, I mean, he was devastated. But when I say no, reaction, I meant like anger and rage towards her. Like it was, from what I recall in that episode, it wasn't, it didn't tap that. I mean, he, he had a little bit, but not to the level that if my husband came home and said that, I would be sitting there being like, oh, right? You like, wouldn't be saying, oh, you'd be no. freaking out. Be and freaking then out. as a viewer to the visceral reaction of the fact that he didn't have a visceral reaction yes. made me angry. But I yes. also want to just say too, from her point of view, okay, to come home and have the balls Unbelievable. to do that, okay? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want to reward her for that mm -hmm. because because I, I don't think that that's something that you get a prize for. The honesty piece and just laying it out there. Sure. I also want to, like, is that even realistic? I just don't know that that happens also so to that granular level of like, I mean, if you really care about someone, I mean, how do you do like that sugar too? Yeah, like sugarcoated a little bit. Like, don't go so granular and tell them, oh, I'm in love with this person and not you anymore. Well, I agree. But she said it as if she was in a business meeting or in a boardroom. But and that also bothered me too. Right. She didn't have any emotion the way you would think you would. Right. And both of them at the beginning of all of this didn't have emotion. I mean, that's what bothered me about her particularly is she wanted her cake eat it too, without the awareness of the decision that she was making and the impact it was having on other people. It felt to me as like, I want this. I want what I want when I want it. And you know what? Like if my daughter suffers because of it, oh well, my daughter suffers because of it. When I hurt my husband, I hurt my, I hurt my husband. And I had a problem with that. I see it from your vantage point there, and I'm not disagreeing with you. And when you said earlier, everyone takes it from their own worldview. Yes. If I could, and I'll have a vulnerability moment here, what pissed me off so much amongst many things, mm -hmm. but when I said earlier, and I probably said it before we even explained what we were saying, that in the original, it was the man who came home and was blowing up the family. And in the modern day version, the woman is the one who's the alpha that comes home and does it and the roles are reversed. To me, my relatability, and I think the thing that struck a chord that scared me, quite frankly, mm -hmm. is that I felt as though when you say she wanted her cake and she wanted to eat it too, I look at that as, you know, whoever is like the quote unquote in charge, right? right. The one who's in paying control. the bills and in control, mm -hmm. right? has that quote-unquote upper hand. And it's kind of like, I can do whatever I want and you either come along for the ride and you're accepting of it or not. And for me now as a single woman, right, mm -hmm. who have, you know, I've had this failed marriage for whatever the reasons are, nothing to the degree of that, which is why the show was so jarring to me because it's like my drama was not drama at all in comparison, right. but it worries me because mm -hmm. it makes me feel as though 
how do you trust? This is why I've said to you on podcast after podcast, I crave the equality. I want my person to be on an equal playing field. I care so much about the role I play from that career standpoint or what I bring to the table because this exact scenario is my worst Worst nightmare. nightmare. Sure, My worst nightmare. And I empathize so much with this husband, okay? Mm -hmm. But the irony is, is that I don't know how to put my finger on the fact that maybe I am old-fashioned. Like the fact that he's the stay-at-home dad, I'm angry at him that he allowed this to happen in the first place. Yes. I look, I resonate with all of it. I mean, I, and you know me, I can always see both sides, right? And that's what makes me, you know, the therapist that I am because I understand both sides of this. I agree with everything that you're saying. And, and it does, it does shake us to the core of trust and modern day relationships and our ability to connect to people in an authentic way. And is that going to be received, not received? Is that going to be thrown up in our face if we aren't equal? Does someone really control us? Like, how do we engage in these relationships? I mean, those are all real issues. But I have to finish the episodes. We haven't even gotten to like the... The, the, the real brouhaha. <laughs> right, exactly. So... Then there's this episode, right, where they're packing up, they're getting divorced, right? And they're packing up the apartment, which he's doing. And he calls her over because she's sitting on signing the fucking divorce papers. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? You're sitting on signing the divorce papers when this guy had to rally himself, do self-growth, personal insight, and, you know, take the blinds off his eyes, look at himself in the mirror, mourn the loss of this marriage that can't, that he loved this woman to the best that he was capable of loving somebody, had to start all over, right? And now you're sitting after you got to go to Israel and you got to be with your boyfriend and you started a life with your lover and integrated your daughter into it and I made it work and I figured this out and I helped along and now I'm packing up our house and you show up, can't get enough into you that you can help pack because it's too emotional for you, right? Won't sign the divorce papers and then they start hooking up, okay? That Then he keeps saying, I can't go back, I can't go back and she seduces him and he allows it to some degree and then she drops a bomb on him. And the reason she doesn't want to sign the divorce papers is... Well, you can say it, but before you say it, that's another ding, ding, ding for me in the naivety category that I'm calling myself out saying, I can't relate to that either. Again, I keep coming back to this statement of saying the visceral reaction mm-hmm. that I had that like, are you kidding me? To Like you blew up your family. And now all of a sudden you're crying in the corner, you know, proverbially speaking. I don't think Mm -hmm. she actually was, but but she was. Yeah. That like, wait a minute, I don't want this anymore. I was just joking, right? Is that real life? Does that happen? And I'm I'm gonna let you do the punchline here too as to why she's now crying in the corner and, and acting like an infant. But again, it's like I'm going to go back to when I said to you, Lori, are you sure I should be watching this show? I have always been the type of person that has said I believe in love. And, and that's certainly the second time around. Remember, this show has made me so fucking paranoid. I know. And I've lost such faith a little bit because of now. You tell us what happened and then let's jump to even the last episode because I'm just lost and I just don't get it. And we have so much to talk about, even in the details that we're not talking about. But she loses her job. Okay, that's what happened in that episode. And if I'm correct, she loses her job. 
She loses the job. So the big, you know, mocker over here, who's the big tech power executive, loses her job. And if I'm correct, again, we're spilling the beans here. So listeners, if you don't want to know, click on another channel and come back to us when you're finished. But I'm pretty sure the boyfriend, the boyfriend. gets rid of her too. Um, so now she's got no job and no boyfriend. Yeah. And again, there was a scene about where the boyfriend knew that there was drama going on between the husband and the wife and called the husband. I mean, there's so many moments in it, those idiosyncratic moments that it's jarring, but she loses. She's not signing the papers and she's starting to seduce him because she she doesn't want to be alone. She has nothing. Yes, she she has nothing. So that is what you're saying then, again, from sort of like the non-therapy therapy standpoint, because I want to know. And again, this is where my naivety comes into play because the few people I had spoken to about this were like, yes, Rachel, these things do happen. And as I kept hearing more and more, yes, this can happen. Yes, that happens. Yes, I've seen it happen. I guess I felt more and more uneducated and inexperienced in relationship, real relationships like this because in a million years, it scared me. I'm just going to say, I mean, it it freaked me out. And I don't think the average people are going through all of this. But again, these are scenes. These are mm-hmm. periods. This is over time, right? Okay. And I think we have a natural tendency to watch this and want to say, wow, this ho- happened over a year period of time, right? And this was their divorce process. This was not their process. This happened. Months passed. A year passed. This happened. It started a new normal. He went through therapy. She was, you know, so... These, all of these things, yes, in isolation happen in relationships. Do we see all of them in one relationship? Probably not. I guess not. And maybe that's where the the fantasy of getting lost in a television show comes into play. So, so that actually makes me feel better. But someone did say to me, they're like, Rachel, you've never in any of your relationships, like you don't think it's common that you break up, but then like you have one more last fling or you have a booty call or whatever. And I have to tell you, I'm going to say it on air. In the serious relationships that I have had, inclusive of my marriage, once we knew it was over, not once was there a, well, one last time or, mm. well, now we know it's the last time, so let's like make it great. That was just not something that ever happened. So, yes, and I, I, naive. Well, no, not naive. Maybe that's just your process of you can have closure pretty quickly or once you make a decision, you move on and, and it's closed. Other people well, can't in that do that. Regard, from yeah. a sexual standpoint, it's just, I have a friend who many, 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 many years ago, this is a friend who had married her sweetheart, had said when they were getting divorced, she had said something along the lines of, he repulses me. Mm. Okay. And I was married at the time and happily married at the time. That word in particular stuck out because I was like, how could you be married to some, married to someone and then use the word repulse? by. And I couldn't identify. And and guess what? I still can't. I'm not married anymore to my husband. There's a lot of words I would use. I don't know if repulse is the right word. Well, I know it's not. Do I want to get back in bed with him? No. And once it was over, that was just one thing that I was like, I don't have to revisit that. So for me watching this show, you could still have love. You could still have empathy and caring. And that I certainly can relate to. But to fuck them again? No. I mean, I just... And, and I, what's interesting is that some of the times it wasn't fucking. Some of the times it was like really making love to the person because as we go on to the last episode, well, before we go on to the last episode, they got physical in this fourth episode when he was trying to leave and leave the packing to her and be like, I'm done with this shit. You have to sign the freaking papers. He started walking out. 
she grabbed the key and then hit him. Right. And, and I was like, shit out of him. holy crap, how did we go from having sex with one another to beating each other? And she basically fell apart right there, which on the one hand was almost a relief for me because she was human. She had this humanness to her that she was so vulnerable in that moment and realized like the world was crumbling around her and that the choices that she made weren't what she thought they were going to be. And so I felt relieved by that, but I felt bad. I mean, I was sad for her and I was sad for them that it got to this place. Well, that could have been, to your point earlier when you said in the previous episode, or actually maybe it was that episode, but the beginning where you had seen that he had been doing the personal work and Ugh, the growth. And beautiful. you knew that he had gone through all this therapy and he had kind of come out of the darkness. Mm-hmm. And he had acceptance with the fact that the marriage is now over. He's working through it and he's moving on and has moved on to a significant degree. So with her, when she broke down in that moment, and you're saying that was her real vulnerability moment that we see as the viewer, she was as real as she could be as a character that she also has blood going through her veins too mm-hmm. and not cold ice water. And maybe that was her bottom for her own growth. But now let's tie it all together. And this is... So now I could say to to your point, like, well, this may not be every piece of this of the same husband and wife. This could be bits and pieces of a lot of different marriages and quote unquote scenes Mm -hmm. from marriages, plural. But we're now just, you know, you're giving me the whole buffet all at once in five episodes. I could feel better about it until the last episode that freaked me out. That now we have Jonathan who has been this scholar and intellect, and he has been the calming, grounding force from... There's only two characters. So of the two, he's the one that is more even-keeled and you want to rally for and so on and so forth. And she's the one that's fallen off the deep end. But then in the last episode, we come to find out he has moved on. He's remarried. He has a baby. And I mean, drumroll, please. He is now having an affair with, okay, wait for it, none other than, Dr. Boca, I'm going to give you the honors, none other than who? Mira. Her. The the, The ex-wife. And that's the piece when he said this whole time he holds himself to this moral compass that's one of, remember, we didn't talk about this yet at all, but he comes from a incredibly religious background, Mm -hmm. okay, where the moral high ground is just the grounds for him. And he doesn't know any other way. And now here we are five episodes later and however many months or years, and I don't know the details on it, but now he's remarried with a new family, but having an affair with his ex-wife. And he actually says out loud that he doesn't care about having moral superiority anymore. And that's another kind of knife to the vest to me. Again, I don't want to make it about me, but as the viewer where we put in where our own world lens is on this, Mm -hmm. oh my God, I just held him in the highest regard. And now he's saying, fuck it. If everyone else is fucking around or making decisions that work for them in the moment and not caring about how it affects others, I'm going to do it too. We have one life to live. And I do want you to speak to that. And how do we break that down? Because that did not leave a good taste in my mouth. 
that's nerve-wracking for me, at least. Well, I think it's nerve-wracking for most people, but it does it does present the reality that is present in life right now is that there are more than two choices and people are going to make those choices. And we really can't control what other people's choices are. They could have stayed married. They could have stayed divorced. They could have remarried or they could be doing what they're doing right now. And on some level, look, I'm not sitting here saying I approve of what they're doing or don't approve. I'm not the judge of this, right? I can appreciate, again, coming from your own worldview, where your moral compass is and that this doesn't feel healthy, it doesn't feel safe, it doesn't feel, quote unquote, right. He made a choice. It was going to be a question that I wanted to pose is what role did the Judaism play for him, right? And why did they make that character a Jewish character? And it was interesting because I kind of conceptualize it as he was held to rules his entire life, right? These Jewish rules. And then he he deviated when he married a non-Jewish woman and he felt safe. So he let all those rules kind of go. And then when his life fell apart, he picked up on those rules again and they started doing Shabbat and Kiddush and all of that stuff. And just to tell the listeners too, the woman that he married the second time around right. was within his faith and just as religious. And he kind of fell back into what those norms were that he was comfortable with. And it felt comfortable, man, for, right? it felt comfortable for him. And interestingly, he had a conversation with his mother when his, was it his dad died? Was it mm-hmm. his dad died? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this conversation was kind of like, we had, like, he wanted his mom to ha- acknowledge that the marriage between mom and dad was terrible and that now she could go on living because he's dead. And her response in regards to their relationship was, you stay married. Like, you keep trying. I don't remember exactly what she said, but it was like the gist of, you keep doing it and you stay together. And so he was working under that rubric and judging that rubric. And now he realized, I'm not living under that. I did what I did and, you know, it didn't work out for me with this woman. And so I'm going to be my own person now and break away from all of those constraints that are on me. And that's kind of where, again, we come from our worldview and sometimes our lenses change, which I think is an overriding theme in this whole show that I wanted to talk about is, you know, I was talking about this with a friend and she pointed it out to me, is that relationships change. People change. But sometimes, you know, we're angry for a period of time and then time passes and we're no longer angry or we don't like our partner and time changes and we do or we love our partner and as time changes, we don't. And things are constantly changing and evolving. And we as two people in a relationship are constantly changing and evolving. So it goes back to what we as therapists always say is communication. You're going to grow and change and evolve and you have to communicate with the other person how that's changing you in the process because you can't grow together when one person's changing and the other person isn't. It's a lot. I mean, even as you describe it and you describe it beautifully, it seems so much more complicated. And for me, at least, as like a Monday morning quarterback, we only knew then what we know now. It does make you sit in judgment of yourself and kind of evaluate How are we doing as a spouse, as an equal partner? In my case, you know, I past tense, but you do go back. And what we said in the very beginning of the podcast, it was incredibly thought provoking, Mm -hmm. uncomfortably so, but thought provoking nonetheless. And I don't know. It's, I mean, look, it's disturbing. 
it's disturbing and we sit there and we can watch it five times and see five different things based on where we're coming from, right? And so that's what I loved about the show. It tossed what we knew and what we think on its head. It's very voyeuristic. And we've talked about voyeurism before in relationships and how there's a piece of it that we try to relate to ourselves. And then there's a piece of it that we sometimes can't even wrap our head around, but we like to be able to see what else is happening in the real world. So I encourage people to watch it. I do think that there's a lot of nuances in moments and scenes that we haven't really talked about because we just did the overlay of it. And I know we were a little tangential, but I think it was important to have those conversations. But I have to ask you two really pressing questions, if you don't mind, to deviate a little bit. One of them is, like, which of them did you like? And not, I guess, not only like, but identify with. Two questions there. I think a little bit of both. Yeah. For for different reasons. And I also think it's easy to say that from someone who's just an observer, if sure. you will, because I do think that, well, I guess I can't speak for everyone, but for me, I do suffer a little bit from, you know, you only want what you can't have syndrome mm-hmm. a little bit, which maybe a lot of people feel that way in certain scenarios, not in all scenarios. But there was a part of me that, I mean, certainly right out of the gate, I loved him and I Mm -hmm. thought he was fantastic. And she made me incredibly nervous from the second she sat down for the interview on the couch. Her head wasn't in the game. And I was incredibly cognizant of that. Mm -hmm. And it bothered me that he wasn't. So I was defensive of him, but then I was angry at him because as the woman, if I was this alpha woman, which I kind of think I am, I would be angry that my partner wouldn't be able to pick up on my tells or my reads or the things that I need. But we also didn't know very early on how communicative she was. I'm guessing Mm -hmm. she wasn't very communicative. There was this part where he did raise his voice and said, talk to me, communicate. We need to talk about it. And and I loved him for that. The immature side of me, okay, I'm being honest, back to you only want what you can't have. Then you have someone who's wrapped around your finger per se. Mm-hmm. Where is the tug of war? Where is the push pull? Where's the challenge a little bit? And I know that, again, that's my immaturity. I'm saying that. So I think maybe where it struck a nerve for me, because it's like, hold on a minute. Am I mature enough to have this healthy relationship that I so desperately say that I want at some point? Or am I still (laughs) trapped in high school that I only want the guy that's not really paying attention to me? Mm -hmm. That's unhealthy. That's not adult-like. That's not going to last for the record books. It brings intimacy to the forefront, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And going back to you and what you want in immaturity, our immature relationships don't have intimacy, right? Mature relationships do. But with mature relationships, you have a lot of vulnerability in order to create that intimacy and people who are afraid of being hurt, disappointed, cheated on, whatever words you guys want to use, they're going to do anything or seek out relationships that will keep them from being vulnerable to develop that intimacy. So were they communicating? I mean, my guess is no, they were not. She comes from a very flat, castrating strong place. And he comes from a very intellectualized place and hid behind that intellect. And when a husband doesn't see a wife, and I always say this with my patients, affairs are symptoms. 
They're symptoms of something. So if you're living in a situation as great as he is, if he was so emasculated yet so soft, but wasn't attuned to her year after year after year after year, that makes her colder and her more withdrawn and her angrier and less emotional. So I can't say that it was her starting this way. We don't know that she started out this way. And a point that my friend made was she was true to herself through this entire show, okay? Which on the one hand is great. She had the balls to do. She knew what she wanted. She knew she didn't want a kid. When the other guy wanted a kid, she walked from that relationship also or was pushed. I don't remember really the storyline behind that. She still knew she had feelings for Jonathan, but she knew she didn't want to get back into a relationship with him. So this was a way to kind of meet in the middle. She was consistent across the board. Jonathan wasn't, which is not a bad thing because I'm so attracted to people who grow. Obviously, I wouldn't be a therapist, right? So he grew and he realized that he was emasculated. And there was this scene that we haven't talked about that was just for me, one of the richest, most powerful scenes, which was when he was in therapy and he had a homework assignment to do. And it was to, what were they like, write gratitude notes? Like, I don't remember how it was phrased as a homework assignment, but he journaled these notes about his upbringing and his way of relating. Interestingly, in the third person, which I don't know what that's really about, but it was fascinating that he was able to put together, you know, cross the T's, dot the I's, see the parallels, see how he was hurt by his family and how that played out into his life and grew and evolved, which was so sexy, right? And so attractive. Yet at the same time, did he do all the work he needed to do in order to find himself in this place of not being able to be in one relationship? And one has to ask, is the world view to be in one relationship? There are many, 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 many people in this world who do not hold on to that world view. So who are we to cast judgment on that? Okay. Well, then I would throw back to you to say, you know, I think your question was, who did you like more or maybe identify with? Identify, yeah. But then what you're saying is that if she was the same, 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 same the whole time, regardless of what the scenario was, and he was the one that did all the growth and the changes. My question back to you isn't who did you like more or who do you identify with more is which one is more realistic? I guess that says, do more people change when they're thrown a monkey wrench? Or do more people get thrown a monkey wrench or throw the monkey wrench and then not change at all? That's a a real question. Yeah, absolutely. And the way you positioned it is the person who throws the monkey wrench doesn't think they have to change usually, right? Because they throw the monkey wrench, they're in control, they kind of deliver the goods and they get what they want in theory. Um, Usually, what is the catalyst to people coming into therapy is not, I want to learn more about myself because my life is going great. It's usually the monkey wrench was thrown into their lives or they're anticipating that they want to change in their relationship or their lives. And they know it's going to be a problem, right? And so they want guidance in dealing with it. So more times than not, the person coming in for the change, something out of their control has happened or they're not experiencing the fulfillment that they want in their life. So I don't know if that really answered your question, but... Well, it sounds to me that the character of Jonathan had an unbelievable amount of growth and had come full circle and then veered however he wanted to, but, but he didn't veer back to being who he was in the opening scene. And right, right, wrong, or indifferent, 
I guess it doesn't matter what we think as the viewer of what he's doing is good, bad, or indifferent. If he's okay with it, then from the character standpoint, in a way, I think that that's fantastic Mm -hmm. and bravo. And then I guess I would say, if I'm going to say that about him, then what does it say about her character? She's kind of right back where she started from. And is there no growth at all? It's just time has moved. I think time has moved and she sees the situation a little bit differently. I do think there was a little bit of growth when she was articulating some of her insecurities and he pointed out some of the patterns that she's had in her relationships in the past and called her out on them. But again, I was more intrigued and a lot of my friends disagree with me, but I was more intrigued and impressed because of my worldview, Mm. right? As a therapist and as a human, I am attracted to people who gain self Awareness. And I'm not saying she didn't gain self awareness, but not to the level I believe that he did. I wonder what would be more scenes from a marriage and how it translates whatever comes next. Because if you bring in the dynamic of the fact that he now is remarried to someone who basically has the wool pulled over her eyes because she doesn't know what Jonathan's up to now. And in a way, the irony of that, Mm -hmm. that now. I don't want to start making a bigger problem out of this than it already is. But Jonathan's character at the end kind of now turned into Mira. Exactly. And that was the next point I was going to make. Isn't that interesting? So we see this as progression and self-growth. But, and he was judging Mira's decisions the whole time, yet he became, in essence, exactly, or he did or is doing exactly what Mira did to him. I know. And that is something, again, if it's naivety or inexperience, I don't care what you want to title it as, that's what makes me nervous as a viewer and someone who does hold out that relationships can be beautiful and honest and authentic and it can withstand the test of time, ups, downs, and indifferent if it's the right person. And I kind of want to just hope that maybe at the end of the day, these people weren't each other's right persons. Because it wouldn't happen if you were with the right person. Although then I feel like that's naive to say in general because people are people are people are people and humans make mistakes and they change and and they change their mind, if you will. And, you know, it's scary. Or do we, and this is a very existential question, but one after years and years of marriage counseling has, my patients have brought it up to me many times. And there is a worldview that are we going against natural behavior by forcing people to stay in a monogamous relationship versus being able to continue to have, I'm going to call it choice, even though maybe that's not the right word, where you would still choose the partner that you have in the monogamous relationship, but because you have a choice about it, or it feels like you have a choice about it, and you have to work on it, in a different way, or that because it's unknown and secretive, like there's so many complexities to it. And I don't know which one is the quintessential answer, or is it a combination of all of it? We don't take for granted. We are present. It's not continuous. We're not with them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Is all of that really the secret to successful relationships. And we hinder those relationships by putting on these expectations that may or may not be realistic for some people. I have no fucking idea. Neither do I. 
I don't know. But it's just a different way to think about it. And as much as I think he grew, maybe he didn't. And maybe she was the one who grew through the whole thing by staying true to herself and working through her shit and saying, you know what? That's my mentality. I want something where I'm not constricted. I'm not restricted. I want somebody to notice me, which he clearly notices her more when they're not married than when they were married. She doesn't have to keep up this facade of being the breadwinner of this family. She can be her authentic self, be honest and open. I don't know. Maybe that's the secret for her. And she did evolve. I can't sit here and cast stones on anybody. But what I can do is really look at this and say, gosh, there are just so many different ways to think about each and every scene that that's what makes this show just so intense and so thought provoking. Um, and just such a snippet of moments in a relationship and how, again, from our own worldview, what we take from it. So I don't want to keep saying the same thing. I don't want to keep being redundant, but I am just fascinated by the show. And I think it speaks to everybody, everybody. And I don't even think we did justice to the show because there were so many idiosyncrasies and moments in time that we could have picked apart. I mean, we could do a whole podcast series on just these five episodes, which to me is remarkable that there's so much richness in it. And as we said, feelings of discomfort and hatred and love and cheering on and screaming at the TV and visceral reactions. Yeah, intense is a great word. And, and it is. It's definitely something that is, as we said multiple times today, thought-provoking. And I hope if you're listening out there, you take some time to watch. We would love your thoughts. I think it's hard to talk about heavy topics if you know we don't have a little bit more opinions in the mix. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are. What Dr. Boca asked me, we'll throw it out to you folks. Who did you identify with more or at all? Whose side were you rallying? Or did that change over time? Did your viewpoint on each one of them get hindered based on behaviors from one episode to the next? Did you have more questions? Which scene stood out for you and like really impacted you and you could question, resonate, you know, really love, hate? I mean, there's just so many different moments that I think people will gravitate towards. Yeah. Does it make... At one point, someone had asked me, you know, oh, should I watch the show? And I said, again, my naivety coming out, well, I mean, how strong is your marriage? So my question also would be, are you more inclined to watch if you have a strong marriage to kind of gauge yourself against, oh, well, you know, thank God we don't have these kind of problems. Or if your marriage potentially is on the rocks, is it a show to watch to potentially gauge as a litmus test? Where do you stack up and do you need some help or are you doing okay? So I wonder, we definitely could use some feedback from the listeners on this one. In response to that question, because I was asked that question also, if you have a solid marriage and you can watch it with your spouse, I think it would be a wonderful opportunity to see where the possibilities for cracks are. And I think it is a thought-provoking conversation starter. If you're going to watch it with your spouse and you have a rocky marriage, just be careful. Know your partner. Because for some people, if they have spouses that can't go to the level of the show and the thought-provokingness, or they get defensive, or their ego is going to be offended, you have to just realize that at the end of this, at a linear, superficial level, they went from being married to having an affair. And so if you have a jealous spouse or somebody who just can't see the big picture and can't really 
get vulnerable to that level, the end result and takeaway is going to be like, oh, so you want to have an open marriage or an affair, right? It can be that simplistic, which is going to blow up your marriage and make them even more suspicious or judgy or what have you. So you have to know your partner. And I think in many ways, it could be a wonderful thing. And full disclosure, I brought it up in my own therapy as a show that my therapist should watch. And I said to him, I go, listen, I said, I told him all the good, all the bad. I didn't spoil anything. But I said, you know, look, it might be a little slow at times, but I'm telling you, there's so much in the show that people are going to come to you and pull out scenes from and talk to you about it. So you may want to watch the show because in my opinion, it's going to be that one that keeps coming back, especially if you do marriage work. It's really, it's compelling. So yeah. So yeah, in the aggregate, the five episodes, there's a ton of meat and potatoes. It's a full-blown entree of a lot of wreckage. But I guess the themes in and of themselves, what you're saying is that they are universal to whatever degree they may be. And it all depends on each relationship. I do think it's worth a watch. Oscar Isaac plays the lead character, Jonathan. And of course, Jessica Chastain plays Mira, the wife. And it's incredibly well done. It's HBO Max. At the risk of repeating myself, we would love the listeners' feedback on this one what you thought, what you didn't think, the things you're still thinking about now, if it made you comfortable, if it made you uncomfortable. We're always open to those suggestions. We want the feedback. We're asking for the feedback. So yeah. And one really quick thing, if you're watching it on like an iPad on the app, at the end of each episode, one of the actors or actresses or the director will come on and speak a little bit about the episode, which was actually one of my most favorite parts. Yeah, I always love that, like the behind the scenes or, you know, digging into this episode or whatnot. And you really get a different perspective and something really more to to sit and chew on a little bit. So with that being said, thank you, Dr. Boca, for helping me break down this one. You know, sometimes the intensity of our topics, there's a vast range. And today, this one kind of struck a chord for a multitude of reasons. And I'm happy to have discussed it with you. Everything from just the sheer sake of having entertainment to something that may hit home deeper and things that we want to examine in our own lives and on the couches or ditching the couch for that matter in this case today. So I thank you for that. That being said, you all know how to reach us. Email us at unpolishedtherapy at gmail.com. Obviously, everything is confidential. So if you do have more questions or in-depth concerns for Dr. Boca, she's happy to see that off podcast air, if you will, because this is not real therapy. You can always find us on Instagram and Facebook at Unpolished Therapy. And also on Twitter, you can find us there too. We hide a lot there, but we are there nonetheless at Untherapy. But send us your thoughts, send us your comments, email us, let us know how you feel. Rate, review, definitely share with your friends. We could definitely use the thumbs up. And from Dr. Boca and myself, we thank you for listening in. We always love our Wednesdays with you. This has been another episode of Unpolished Therapy. Great sesh, girls. Hey, everyone, like what you heard? Then don't miss out on what comes next. Subscribe now and please give the girls a five-star rating. Learn more at www.unpolishedtherapy.com. Find and like them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll see you next week when Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca ditch the couch, grab the mic, and break down all the wreckage.